Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and it helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us and we'll get into today's guest. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Olivieri, who is the founder of Pivot Ground. Sarah, how are you today? I am quite well. Thanks for having me here. It's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to talking about nonprofits, talking about strategic planning. It's a thing that I love, and I I know you do too, but why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit more about you and Pivot Ground. Sure. Well, I am a former executive director. That's how I come by way of my nonprofit specialization. I have been a program director, conference coordinator, toilet fixer, everything that you wear many hats in nonprofits. I've also run a few for-profit businesses, a marketing agency, which led me to what I do now, which is teaching nonprofits how to run their businesses better. I have gone deep into understanding what does a nonprofit business model really mean and how can we learn from what the for-profit sector has done and implement those kinds of things in nonprofits. So most of my work now is training nonprofits how to do the impact method, which is this framework that I've created, and then helping them grow. I'm also an author, an avid sailboat racer, a mom. I like cooking. (laughs) So we've been around. And I once made a documentary having to do with people who had seen UFOs. Okay, cool. Maybe maybe I'll ask that. Forget about the nonprofit <laughs> stuff. Let's talk about the UFO stuff. But if if you're an executive director, this is here. I made we made this for you. Sarah's here for you. So please do listen up. Take notes. Okay, I'm going to start at the top as we would. I really like what you said, saying run their businesses, not run their organizations. Can you expand on that? We'll go from there. Yeah. So, you know, being a nonprofit is really a tax designation and nonprofits as businesses are really interesting. Their business model is often more complex. So your basic business for-profit model is you have like how you get your customers, that's your marketing or sales. And then there's what you're delivering to those customers and you get those two things to work together and you have a successful business. Well, for-profits usually have something they're trying to do in the world, the impact they're trying to make defined by the mission, how they're trying to make that mission. So there's the marketing and there's the service delivery or whatever it is business like in a for-profit. In addition to that, they're also fundraising, which means that it's like an additional business that they're running where they are reaching out the marketing piece, often called fundraising. They're reaching out to donors, 
part corporate sponsors and foundations, building those relationships and donors get something too. It's like a service. It's because it's like a partnership service. So the fundraising piece is a little like selling a second thing for money this time. And sometimes it's more like getting investors. So like if you were a startup and you had to like do rounds of funding and, and maintain relationships with your investors. So it's complicated business model. They are some of the hardest businesses to run. In addition to that, there tend to be more people. So from day one, most nonprofits by law have to have a board of three board directors. And then from there, it just grows. So you might, for the equivalent amount of money involved, you're going to have exponentially more people compared to their for-profit equivalents. But otherwise, they're absolutely businesses. They're worried about revenue. They're worried about impact. Most of the work is how do you get the people involved to really all row in the same direction and achieve what you want to achieve. Cool. So I sort of want to ask you about like how fundraising as a thing to do complicates, like exponentially adds a level of complexity. So if you want to talk about that, we can, we can just go sort of high level and say, Hey, what are the biggest mistakes that nonprofit leaders make as they go forward that you would say, Hey, like fix this day one and you'll be in a way better shape. So I'll let you choose which of those two questions you want to tackle first. I'm going to answer the first one first, because there's this interesting loop that a lot of people don't realize. So in your four profit business, you have this direct feedback. If your service sucks, people don't buy it and you quickly run out of money and you change or close your business. But in the nonprofit space, the money, if it comes from the donors, let's say, the donors give based on the perceived impact, not necessarily the actual impact. So you don't have this direct money tie from whether or not you're making the impact. So you could make a big impact and still not have money because you're bad at communicating it to your donors. Or you could be making relatively little impact and have lots of money and not have any of this kind of direct feedback to tell you you need to do a better job. And so I think a lot of when it comes to how we get people to take action, feedback loops are really relevant and they are complicated and not so obvious in nonprofits, which I think is the real reason, there are multiple reasons, but why they often struggle with having enough money. Which I think leads to your second question. I'll just say one really big mistake nonprofits make is those two business models. They usually ignore the fundraising one and they start growing their programs and then they're not able to grow. They don't have the management capacity. They don't have the money capacity to sustain those programs. And before they know it, they're a sinking ship. And the only way out is to cut back on some of their services or their programs. And for the heart-driven folks who run nonprofits, that is like wrenching heart surgery for them to do that. But it becomes necessary if you want to keep going. Mm. So we took out that the communication piece of it of like actually like the fundraising and the success of a not-for-profit doesn't necessarily have to do with impact, unlike a for-profit business, which I think is a really valuable perspective. The importance of that fundraising piece in order to support the execution of the programs. Is there ever a balance of power or like a fight for power between programs and fundraising and or all of the different programs, like people being so heart-centered that they're so attached to their program that they think about themselves versus the rest of the organization? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, especially in larger nonprofits, siloed departments become a huge problem because ultimately you need more integration, not more segregation between departments. You need a lot of collaboration. Fundraisers, I've heard in fundraising departments, which are often called development, we have like a separate word in the nonprofit thing that means something different than it does in the for-profit space. So development is fundraising. And so those fundraisers, they need to talk to the service delivery people to get the stories of the difference that they're making. And the service people are like, I don't have time for you. I'm trying to make a difference in the world. I don't want to tell you the stories of the difference we're making. And so you can get internal conflicts around communication. I was just on a call with another consultant today. We were bemoaning how often communication, which nonprofits often use that word instead of marketing, that there's like communication departments that are separate from fundraising departments as though they're talking to totally different people and they're not sharing the same website, which they are. That is a challenge in the industry that there is a lot of siloing and it does a lot of damage. So I know you talk about your process. How does your process fix that? And or how do you suggest people address the potential silos that happen within these organizations? I mean, it sounds like fairly typically. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on whether or not they have a problem or they're trying to avoid the problem. But basically, when it comes to running a great nonprofit, and this is totally true for for profits too, there's three areas that you need to focus on. And I've seen people have, you know, they have different names. I think you even yourself have three areas, and I'd say they're probably similar. But in what I tend to think of them as, I use the acronym PAM, that you need to have a process for improvement, which means you're always improving. I am, as I said, I'm a sailboat racer and I read a racing tactics book for sailboat racing that said the team with the best process for improvement will win almost every time. And I think that's so true for all business and it's totally true for nonprofits. So process for improvement is the first thing you have to have in place. And that's so much about finding issues, being vulnerable with yourself, which leads you, not yourself as an organization or as a business, which leads you to being proactive, right? If you deal with issues proactively, they're opportunities. If you deal with them reactively, Probably they're just challenges that are hurting you. So after process of improvement, you have to have an actionable strategy, right? I love strategy. And the thing that I hate most about a strategy is one that doesn't get executed. Um, so it, it, you have to connect those really big goals. If you are a BHAG person, you're whatever your big, big goals are. If you haven't connected them down to what am I doing when I sit down at my desk today? You don't have an actionable strategy, and it shouldn't be some extra thing. It should be the main thing. Your strategy should be driving your main activities every day. And the third piece is what I call your MO. A lot of people like to think of this as alignment, but I call it your MO because it's both your kind of culture alignment, your values, your mission, however you want to build that, as well as how you organize your people to do the work of the organization. And I'm a huge proponent of making that how you organize people to organize them around outcomes instead of tasks. Because it's a lot better and easier to manage outcomes than it is to manage people. 
because controlling people is really hard and not effective and generally makes people pretty unhappy. So taking, I think of it as a distributed leadership outcome-driven model for organizing your team and getting them to do stuff is really important. The purpose of a not-for-profit is typically mission or impact-based. So if you lose sight of the impact of the mission and you just focus on the busy work, then you're not going to make progress and you're not going to have what you want. So as a summary, the PAM, the process for improvement, I really like the if you're proactive with it, if it's opportunities, otherwise you're putting out fires. Actionable strategy, you know, can you actually do something when you get it to your desk when you move forward? And then your MO, that's the alignment, that's the mission, the vision, the everything, the systems, the people supporting that, well, the vision, where you're trying to get to. So I really appreciate that. Anything else you want to add? Anything that might have missed there? No, though, those are the three main things. I'll just, because I know, you know, to make it really tangible, because I think when, when I talk about these things, they sound like, oh, that sounds great in theory, but how do we do it? And in the impact method, we have three types of meetings and, <laughs> and it's all wrapped up in doing those three meetings. And we built, move our strategies forward every 60 days in a strategy renewal meeting. And then we move our work plan forward every two weeks in a sprint renewal meeting. We work in two-week sprints. And then we have an additional meeting to address roadblocks that come up along the way. So it becomes super, super tangible. This is not actually rocket science to do. Um, it's, you know, it's like, I think it's the game Othello. It's like a, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. And that's what I feel like about a really great business structure is it's simple to learn. It's really pretty simple to start doing, but it takes a, a lifetime of doing. Most of the learning is about you and your organization and how does it work? That's where the real work is to be done. Yeah. And one of the things that you shared with me before we started our call was the repeatable nature of things, like setting a thing up in place. And I find that with a lot of all organizations, for-profit or not-for-profit, it's the rigor, it's the discipline of like not giving up on the thing and actually taking the strategic thing, which in this case, you know, your three types of meetings are strategic at first, and then you operationalize it. And that's just how you do things from now on, but you do things that have to like drive forward that purpose, that MO, ultimately, so you can move the thing forward. So it's not meetings for the sake of meetings, which I'm sure you've heard, especially in (laughs) resource-strapped organizations. It's not meeting for the sake of meetings. It's we just have a really clear and repeatable purpose for said meeting over and over again. That's exactly it. Exactly it. So I have a a slightly different question because we talked about the internal business processes and we looked at, you know, what's repeatable, what scalable, what you need to grow and be successful. And you touched on as a not-for-profit, you need to have that oversight and governance. And I know that you've started up a couple not-for-profits. What would you say to an executive director who has a board that is under-engaged or has no connection to the strategy or might be out of their depth in terms of like having been put into this position and now they're just trying to like figure it out, make it up? Yeah. So I would be speaking to probably like 90% of those executive directors. Part of what I want to say about boards is don't worry about it too much. If you're pretty sure you've got this under control, focus on what you need to do to run this organization. There is a fundamental systemic problem with the way boards are set up. And as long as that's in place, you're never going to make incredible board progress without putting in a ton of time and energy 
energy. And here's the, the problem in a nutshell. For the most part, board members are volunteers. In many states, they're required by law to be volunteers. However, not all states. You can legally pay your board members to be board members. But typically, nonprofit board members are volunteers. And they hold all the liability for your nonprofit. So imagine how a part-time volunteer who is not an expert in running nonprofits, because if they were, they'd probably either be running a nonprofit or a consultant, in which case they're either not interested in being on your board for free (laughs) or they have a conflict of interest. So you have board members who don't know how to run nonprofits who are all volunteers and they have all the responsibility and none of the skills or experience. That's like a disaster (laughs) waiting to happen. In a for-profit business, at least you typically are aligning board members by their getting financial compensation. They have skin in the game. They get money out for doing a good job. And typically, they also know how to run equivalent or similar for-profit businesses. So they can be a real asset in the not-for-profit space. This is often a challenge. So yes, having an engaged board is important. And if they're being a pain in your butt and making making things harder, you got to change that because you have enough challenges to get through already. But if your board is just simply not engaged, tone it down, simplify it. You do a great job as an executive director running the organization. And if there's a specific piece you need more help with, like maybe fundraising, Don't put that on your board. Create a separate fundraising committee. I have some clients, they make a circle of friends. It's a committee just of people who are there to help you fundraise. So really make it simple for your board. Stick to governance. Make sure they're just double-checking your financial situation, double-checking that you have a strategy, and double-checking that you're a good leader, right? Get those three things in place. And if that's, that's plenty to ask of most boards. And if they don't have that strategy piece? You give them the strategy. And in fact, that's a big difference with the impact method is I don't ask boards to create the strategy. I ask them to be the emergency break. So with the impact method, the executive directors and their teams, it's a very inclusive process. They're creating the strategy. The board has the opportunity to review it every two months, but I don't even ask boards to approve it just to review it. And if they think it's bad, they can say no. Otherwise, the organization can't have the brakes on by default. You have to be able to keep moving forward by default. And the board has the power, the board has the power really to do anything. So they can pull the brake lever if they need to at any time, if it doesn't make sense to them. But how are they going to know what the strategy should be? Because they're not involved with the day-to-day. They can't see what's going on on the ground. Those are the people, the people who are on the ground, who know how it's working, whether it's working, understand all the factors, those are the people who can have good ideas about where exactly to go and how they should get there. Hmm. So tell me more about this impact method. How can people <laughs> like give us an overview? Tell us how we can you know execute that if uh, we got some executive directors or nonprofit leaders who say, hey, I want to put that into place for my team. 
Yeah. So the best place to start is for us to just have a conversation. If you go to pivotground.com, you can read about the impact method, click the apply button. If you want to have a call with me, I'll help you figure out if it's a good fit for your nonprofit and go from there. But I'm able to work with small organizations as well as large ones. And I will tell you, it is typically much less expensive than working with a traditional strategic planner. And the focus is going to be on getting you able to execute a strategy and able to create your own strategy if need be. I'm there to help. I love making strategies. I'll help anybody (laughs) come up with a strategy. But what I really want is for you to be able to implement your strategy. That needs to come first. And then you can focus on making your strategy as good as it can possibly be. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you've seen that where like you'll have somebody who has like a really great document, especially when when you have heart-centered people, people who really care about the organization and like volunteers, especially, maybe we can talk a little bit about like volunteer management and there's just no direction for people to give those volunteers or people who really care, but they don't have that. We call it business acumen because sometimes nonprofits don't have the ability to pay the price of having somebody that has that like strategic thinking. So, you know, what have you seen executive directors do or what have you done in your case when you might not have that business acumen or you're trying to guide volunteers in order to drive that MO forward? Yeah, I like to kind of think of it like if you parked in a parallel parking spot and somebody blocked you in, a lot of smaller nonprofits are in this situation. They're stuck. They're like, we know we need to change, but we don't have money to change. And so how do we do it? (laughs) We're already giving everything we can. And you don't have a lot of wiggle room to make a bad move because you're just going to stay stuck. But it is going to feel like a series of small moves. And some of them might even feel like a backwards move. You're going to cut back on one area to give those resources to another area because you're bootstrapping and you're stuck. But each time you make a good move, whether it's forward or backwards, you're going to have a little more wiggle room. And once you get out of your stuck spot, you don't have to be a nonprofit with no money. You can have money. You can have resources. It's probably your limiting beliefs combined with lack of know-how, you know, like it's great to have an expert come in and just say, here's some processes that were already invented that work well. You don't have to reinvent the wheel because you don't have to be always strapped for resources. If you follow a great system that takes into account both elements of your business model, you won't be. And before you know it, you'll have plenty of money to do what you want to do. And that will no longer be a limiting factor. I really like that. Of course, I couldn't stop thinking about that Austin Powers uh, movie, but the the giving yourself space, I think that's the key part. And also having like the patience and the wisdom to recognize like what that end goal is, is that we're not just going backwards for the sake of going backwards, like an arrow backwards needs, you need to go backwards before you go forward, but actually saying, Hey, I'm trying to get out of this space. So focus on that space. And then the next journey, just as we finish up here, what is your experience dealing with the flip side? Nonprofits with too much money who don't know what they're doing and maybe outsource overly so. Do you ever experience that? Yeah, I have. I think what I've seen them do is they'll work with too many consultants who are there to give them ideas. 
but not enough consultants who are there to push them to implement, which sometimes go by the name of coaches, right? Like sometimes you need a consultant to help you give ideas and sometimes you need a coach to push you to implement. And another mistake they make, just like the startups, is they overinvest in new programming and they don't increase their own capacity to manage that programming. I once had a client, we were trying to list a description of every program on their website. And first, they didn't know how many programs they had. It ended up being like 35 to 40. They didn't have a description of every program. And then I was like, okay, just get me on the phone with the person who's in charge of each program and I'll get the description out of them. There were some programs I just was in like circles. They couldn't even give me someone who was in charge of it to give me a description. And they had plenty of money. They just like started new, well, we have money. We'll just start a new program, start a new program. Meanwhile, they didn't have enough management to handle operations. They needed more support in their human resources department. They had almost no fundraising infrastructure, very small donor base. So they're dependent on government type funding contracts, but which is not necessarily sustainable. And then they began to experience cutbacks from the state. And they were having to really grow their fundraising capacity almost from scratch. Mm. So as we finish up here, we, you mentioned something really, the people that are government supported. And we have another our previous guest, Bob Renafos, who was talking about like social enterprises, like actually being able to incorporate the more business aspect into your not-for-profit. Given the state of the economy or future state of the economy, given just the overall government's desire to spend more money for nonprofits and that kind of thing, where do you see the future of nonprofit organizations, let's say over the next one, two, three years? And then what would you recommend to the executive directors and board members there on how to help their organizations become more resilient and successful in the coming years? Yeah. I think first and foremost, if you're worried about money, you need to be focused on your donor engagement plan, right? I think I said before, there's three places you can get money from, individual donors, corporations, and foundations. And the individual donors are going to be your most sustainable source of revenue. It's like crowdsourcing your investment community, right? You could have hundreds, thousands of investors. Maybe they're mini investors. But because you can get so many of them, it's more sustainable. But like great investors, they will keep re investing in you if you show that you're giving them a return. Now, the return for a donor is usually emotional return because they get to feel like they're a part of the impact that you're making, right? I like to say donors and nonprofits share the same mission, but the donors achieve the mission by giving of their money. The nonprofits achieve that mission by actually doing a service. They're partners in that way to achieve the same mission. And I think that's the most important. Once you have a strong donor base, you can add in grants, whether they're from a foundation or a government grant, but those can be very expensive. They can be more expensive than the money you got at the end of the day because they come with heavy reporting requirements requirements. So it's not just the application, it's an ongoing (laughs) relationship with the foundations. And corporate sponsors are interesting. They're a great way to go as well, but they're not going to be the same. Those donors are mostly giving to you because they share your mission. That's a true alignment. 
corporate sponsors are likely what they're getting out of it is a boost for their brand. They get to say they're affiliated with you and that helps them with their marketing. And because that's still a very symbiotic relationship, but it's not as aligned as those individual donors who share your mission. So it's still, I would think of it as a slightly more expensive way to fundraise. So get that donor base in place, build relationships with them. This is not transaction. You're not selling gala tickets. You're not selling event tickets. You're not selling tote bags. This is not a transactional relationship. It is an investor type relationship. And if you have a large base of those investors, you'll be solid. And if you need money, like the best ones I know, the EDs, they just pick up the phone, call a couple of their best donors, and they can have 20000 80000 a couple hundred if they need. And all it takes is a phone call. That's awesome, Sarah. I super appreciate that because I think from a mindset perspective, takes it away from the, oh no, like what am I going to do? Like I'm at the effect of what the government does to a, actually I can pick up the phone because I've done that legwork to set it up and like taking the, my future into my own hands. So I think that's really great, 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 great advice for our executive director. So thank you so much. Where can people get a hold of you and where can they connect and learn more about what you do? Sure. Best place is pivotground.com. I encourage you to sign up for my weekly micro trainings. I do a 15 minute training. You'll see a pop up for that at pivotground.com or you can go to pivotground.com forward slash micro dash trainings. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Technically, you can find me on Twitter, but I'm not really there. Um, (laughs) So I encourage you to find me elsewhere. And I would love to talk to anybody, especially the nonprofit people out there. I really like I like working with nonprofits a lot. I've been told, yo, Sarah, you would make so much more money if you worked with for-profits and maybe so, but I love my nonprofit people and I look forward to talking to you. That's awesome, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a blast. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today has been Sarah Olivieri, who is the founder of Pivot Ground. If you know somebody in your network that runs a not-for-profit or mission-based organization, be sure to send them this podcast. Make their day. Help them take their future into their own hands. And if you like today's podcast, be sure to like us and subscribe and follow along. So my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it, it'll help your team think more strategically, and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus you can use the code podcast for $100 off. Course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.